You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. I'm Dallas Taylor. In our busy modern lives, it's not often that we stop and really think about what we hear. Most of the time, we just accept these human-made sounds without a second thought. But it's important to remember that our world didn't always sound this way. Matter of fact, the sound of our world changes constantly. Our cities and towns sound completely different now than they did 50 or 100 years ago. So what will our cities and towns sound like 50 or even 100 years from now? What if we could collectively sound design our world? What would that sonic utopia be like? And how can we get there? In our future sonic utopia, there will certainly be sounds we want to remove. The first thing that comes to mind is the screech of the New York City subway, which is incredibly loud and is sort of emblematic of the lack of updating of that city's infrastructure. That's Rose Eveleth. I'm the creator and host of a podcast called Flash Forward, which is all about the future. I love New York, but standing on the one train platform, the train rolls in and you really feel like you're being stabbed in the ear. We all know that loud noises can cause hearing loss, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. When we're exposed to loud noise, our bodies release stress hormones. These hormones raise our blood pressure, which contributes to heart disease and type 2 diabetes. Studies have even shown that kids who go to school in louder areas tend to have more behavioral problems and also tend to skew worse on tests. We know that constant sound like that has real impacts on learning, on people's ability to retain information. To be clear, this train problem goes way beyond the New York City subway. Anytime you have a heavy metal object moving along a metal track, like a subway or a train, you're probably going to end up with some screeching. But what if, in the future, that subway or train car wasn't even touching the track? In recent years, some countries have begun building maglev trains, which is short for magnetic levitation. A maglev train doesn't have a conventional engine. Instead, it uses powerful electromagnets to stay suspended above the track. When it's suspended, another set of magnets propel it forward. They don't have rails that they're rolling along physically. That's acoustician Andrew Pysdek. They're basically floating on a cushion of air, so they can be very, very quiet. Maglev trains aren't just quieter than normal ones. They're also smoother and faster. The highest speed recorded on a maglev train was 373 miles an hour. As maglev trains replace normal trains, we can expect to hear less of this and more of this. That's a great start, but what about cars? As you may already know, electric cars can be extremely quiet. Obviously they're quieter, but most importantly at low speeds, where the engine noise is the loudest thing. As electric vehicles become more common, areas with low speed traffic will quiet down quite a bit. But once you get on the freeway, even an electric engine doesn't help that much. At high speeds on the freeway, most of the noise actually comes from the tires. So the advancements that you can expect to improve roadway noise are with the composition of the roads themselves. 
In 2007, researchers developed a new paving method called next-generation concrete surfaces. Roads that are paved this way are up to 10 decibels quieter than normal ones. That's the difference between this and this. As we improve infrastructure and replace old roads with new roads that are made to be quieter, we can see those freeways becoming less noisy. When it comes to transportation, our sonic utopia is sounding a lot quieter. But of course, people aren't the only things being carried around in cars and trains. There's also all of our stuff. Amazon currently ships over 6 million packages a day. As populations increase and countries develop, there will be an even bigger demand for quick delivery. And the latest idea to handle that demand is delivery by drone. Now, commercial drone delivery hasn't taken off quite yet, but both Google and Amazon are working on changing that. Here's a clip from a video that was made by Amazon. Here's how it works. Moments after receiving the order, an electrically powered Amazon drone makes its way down an automated track and then rises into the sky with the customer's package on board, cruising quietly below 400 feet, carrying packages up to five pounds. Amazon describes these drones as quiet, but in their videos, they never include the actual audio of flying drones. That's probably because drones really aren't that quiet. Even the small ones that hobbyists buy can be pretty loud. If drone delivery becomes common, things could get really loud really fast. Imagine a crowded city with hundreds of delivery drones buzzing by at all times. Now imagine how bad it would be near the fulfillment center, where the drones actually take off and land. This is not very utopian. But, thanks to nature, there may be ways of making drones quieter. There's some work that's been done looking at owls and the way that their feathers are shaped in order to reduce noise. The edge of an owl's feather is very ragged. The feathers themselves are kind of loose and wavy. And that's why they're such stealthy flyers, because their feathers aren't rigid. For instance, barn owls fly so quietly that humans can't hear them until they're about three feet away. The exact opposite of that is a pigeon. And every time they take off, that pigeon sounds... Some people think that it's a vocalization that the pigeons are making. That's the sound of their feathers vibrating as they flap their wings. The recording of the pigeon you just heard is from a BBC special about owls. In the special, they recorded a pigeon, a hawk, and an owl flying over a set of microphones. Here's the pigeon again. Here's the hawk. And here's the owl. Did you catch that? Neither did I. Here it is again, turned up twice as loud. Inspired by owls, researchers are already exploring ways of making airplanes quieter. Like a car on a freeway, a lot of the noise from a passing plane comes from air flowing around the plane. One way of reducing that noise would be to make the plane's wings more like owl's wings. This could be done by adding more flexible, porous materials to the edges of the wings. Theoretically, something similar might be possible with drones. I think that if drones start being a more everyday part of our lives, that there will be a pretty strong pressure to make those drones be a little bit less annoying to listen to. 
so far, we've turned down the volume on future cars, trains, planes, and drones. Not too shabby. But what does our sonic future sound like if you're getting around on foot? Something that might become common is targeted audio messages that you can hear as you walk down the street. When audio is beamed to a small, specific area, it's called an acoustic spotlight. These are already found in many museums. Say if you were looking at a painting, you might hear sounds that remind you of the space in the painting. For instance, you may walk up to a painting of a peaceful landscape and hear this. And the technologies that are used to make these acoustic spotlights can range from very simple. There's parabolic microphones where you have just like a a plastic shell around a normal speaker. And as that speaker generates sound, it focuses it downwards towards the person standing under the spotlight. But acoustic spotlights can also be made with ultrasound. Ultrasound is very amazing. Ultrasound is sound. It's not something different. It's just sound that's at a frequency above what people can hear. The normal range of human hearing is about 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Anything above 20,000 hertz is considered ultrasound. Making an acoustic spotlight with ultrasound involves something called a parametric array. So parametric arrays are basically you have two beams of ultrasound that you make intersect with each other. And at the point where they intersect, they create audible sound. A parametric array is almost like a sonic laser that lets you beam a sound message to a very precise spot. If advertisers started doing this, it could get out of hand pretty quickly. Imagine you're walking downtown in a crowded city. Every time you pass by a billboard or a store or a restaurant, you hear a little commercial or jingle. Prices you love from Walmart. You can find it at McDonald's. New in theaters this weekend. Call your doctor if you have a parasitic infection. Once you pop, you can't stop. Kringles. That's definitely not what I want in my utopia. But audio aimed at your location doesn't have to be a bad thing. For instance, rather than just playing the sound out in the open, the signals could be beamed to a device, like a specialized headset. That way, you can choose whether or not to tune in. I think in my utopia, people would be able to kind of customize their experience to themselves. I could make the world feel safe and happy and lovely wherever I am, and that might look different from somebody else. And I don't know if that means, you know, special things that go in my ear that kind of like filter in and out the sounds that are important or not, or whether that means high-tech technology that only beams oral information to certain people who have their profile set up to be maximum sound versus minimum sound or whatever it is. And you can kind of choose to customize your experience of the world that way. In the future, headphones and earbuds won't just be headphones and earbuds. They'll be much more integrated. We already have noise reduction, but future hearing wearables may have selective noise reduction. They may filter out unpleasant sounds or reduce dangerous volume levels. They may even have corrective hearing loss algorithms built in, like a merger of current hearing aids, noise protection, and traditional earbuds. With geolocation targeting, these headsets could give you extra information about your surroundings without the visual distraction of smart glasses. Imagine kind of an audio tour of the entire world. This might even help people build more of a connection with their community. 
I think that there is a space for like a sort of community audio project where you could have this living audio document that is kind of like a museum tour, but for your own space. So you could be walking down your street and you could hear a story from your neighbor about something. It's maybe the person who's lived on that block for 30 years being like, you might not know this, but here's an interesting piece of history about where you're from. Or, you know, hey, there's a city council meeting today. Maybe consider going to it. Just little things like that where you could kind of constantly be keeping up with your neighbors or understanding what the needs are in the community. A high-tech headset that you wear all the time could also be a game changer when it comes to real-time translation. If every word you hear gets instantly translated into your native language... People can talk to other people speaking a different language and not have that language barrier. There's already quite a bit of work happening there, and that will continue to move forward. New technology could positively change how our cities, neighborhoods, and homes sound. It could even give us entirely new ways to experience our surroundings. But we have to put in the time and effort if we actually want our future to sound better. To get some perspective, it's helpful to talk to someone who really understands how important sound is to the spaces we design. Maybe someone like an architect, who's also blind. That's coming up after the break. Congratulations to Zach O'Neill for getting last episode's mystery sound right. That's a recording of someone singing Au Clair de la Lune. It was captured on a device called a phonautograph in 1860, making it the earliest recognizable recording of a human voice. And here's this week's mystery sound. And again. If you know that sound, go to the web address mystery.20k.org and let us know. If you guess it right, you'll be entered to win one of our new 20,000 Hertz t-shirts. For me, the hardest part of hiring is narrowing down the search, and that's where Indeed can help. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million visitors every month. That makes it the world's largest platform for finding skilled staff. In fact, during the time it'll take me to read this ad, 23 people will have been hired on Indeed. Whenever we list a job, we get a lot of applications. So many of them are from brilliant and talented people. But it can be really hard to have those applications rise to the top. With Indeed's smart matching engine, that process becomes a lot easier. And over time, the matching engine learns your preferences. The more you use it, the more efficient it becomes. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers said that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Right now, our listeners can get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Hertz. That's Indeed.com slash H-E-R-T-Z. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From acoustic spotlights to swarms of retail drones, there's all kinds of technology that's likely to affect the sound of our future. But as we build that future, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of sonic environments do we want to create? The spaces we design should be acoustically functional. In other words, the acoustics of a building should support whatever goes on in that building. But it's about more than just utility. We also want the places we spend time in to just sound good. That's easier said than done. And too often, people just don't think about it. 
sound is so often just left to be accidental. That's Chris Downey. I'm an architect located in Piedmont, California, just outside of Oakland. As far as architects go, Chris has a pretty unique background. In 2008, he was having some trouble seeing clearly. An MRI scan revealed a brain tumor right against his optic nerve. Fortunately, doctors were able to remove the tumor through surgery. But two days after the procedure, Chris's vision started to fail. After three days, he was blind. Of course, adjusting to life without sight took time. But Chris didn't let blindness stop him from doing what he loves. In fact, he says that losing his sight has actually been helpful to his understanding of architecture. Losing my sight as an architect has really benefited my work by really getting me back in touch with the human bodily experience of being in the space at any given moment in time. The sound of the space, the acoustic soundscape of the architecture as you move through it dynamically, hearing it as you move through and really listening to the architecture. The choices that are made when a building is designed have a massive impact on what it's going to sound like. Sometimes these choices are very deliberate, like the way concert halls are designed to amplify and enhance the sound of an orchestra. A lot of the time, though, it can be hard to predict exactly what a building is going to end up sounding like. It's so hard to draw or model sound. You know, how do you do that? As architects, we can't do that. If we talk with an acoustic engineer, they might be able to give us all sorts of scientific representations of things. But unless you're a highly trained acoustic engineer, it means nothing. Most of the time, you won't really know until the building is finished. And then it's built. It's really too late. At that point, you might not be happy with the result. Maybe you've had the experience of trying to study in a library where every little noise echoes off the walls. One way to prevent this is to digitally emulate what a space might sound like while it's still being designed. There's been a really interesting collaboration I've had with some acoustic designers that have a sound lab that they use to model sound. They use it really to anticipate and demonstrate the sound of a music hall or some other very sort of acoustically intentional space. Using this technology, you can input the dimensions and other aspects of a building you're designing. Then the computer can emulate what a voice or an instrument or a footstep is going to sound like inside that space. You can tune it. You can test it, just as we do visually with drawings and models and photorealistic computer-aided renderings and things. It's doing the same thing with sound. And we started working with that for me to anticipate the dynamics of sound as you move through space. So they put my cane tapping inside the digital space, and then we hear what it's like to hear the architecture as you move through. and anticipate that so that I can really design intentionally. Acoustic modeling technology isn't universal yet, but some designers have started taking acoustics more seriously. Airports are notoriously noisy, and all of that noise can make traveling even more stressful than it needs to be. 
But many airports have started installing noise-absorbing materials to help keep people calm. The next time you're in a new terminal that feels unusually quiet, look up at the ceiling. Oftentimes, you'll see very unique-looking tiles. These tiles can be subtle enough to fit right in with the architecture, and they make a huge difference in sound quality. Unfortunately, though, when it comes to noise, restaurants are still way behind. We've all had the experience of being in a restaurant that's just uncomfortably loud. There are environments in restaurants that the soundscape becomes really problematic. Since Chris is blind, he can't read someone's lips or pick up cues through their facial expressions. So I'm absolutely dependent on the acoustic environment to communicate. And some of these environments are so loud, it's so exhausting to try to hear that within 15 minutes, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I've had enough. And in sharing that with other people, people with hearing impairments, they have the same experience. And it could be because of a hearing aid that the sound is very different and it's become nauseating. Accessibility laws and city codes are the reason we have helpful sounds at crosswalks and ramps for wheelchairs. And while the U.S. government does regulate how much noise workers should be exposed to, those codes are rarely enforced in places like restaurants and shops. Our codes don't really deal with that. So I think that there's some more wisdom and more research and development that needs to come into creating safe environments in places like that. We used to talk about secondhand smoke in bars. Well, you know, what's that acoustic environment doing to the health of the people that work in those environments? Whether it's noisy restaurants or noisy freeways, it's easy to imagine that a quieter future would be a better future. I think that we kind of want silence more than we get it. And that's really what it comes down to, is that we live in a very loud world. Finding silence is very difficult unless you live in a place that's already pretty quiet. And so I can understand why the focus on making the world sound better is to make the world sound less. Because it sometimes feels like there's just too much vying for our attention. If I had a giant audio board for the world, I'd pull the fader down on most of what's human-made. Our brains love the sound of nature, and it would be great to get the competing sounds out of the way. However, that doesn't mean that all human-made sounds should be lost. There's been a lot of effort going into like sound masking, masking of the sound in, in environments, which from the blind experience isn't necessarily a good thing, because in masking the environment, we're losing some of the necessary sound. We need to hear the environment. For instance, making cars completely silent could be dangerous. I mean, I think many people probably have the experience of almost being hit by a Prius in a parking lot because you didn't know it was there because it doesn't make any sounds. I've experienced new electric buses that are so quiet, it's hard to even know they're there. And I've had one that pulled up right in front of me when I'm standing at the sidewalk and I didn't hear it approach. And I kind of sensed there was something in front of me and I reached up to find there was a bus there just a couple inches in front of my face. (laughs) And that was terrifying. So in trying to remove sounds and make some of these things quiet, you have to be careful about maintaining some necessary sound for safety. All of this can feel overwhelming. 
But there are things you can do to make your surroundings sound a little better. The first step is to really hear your environment. To do that, you'll need to make it as quiet as possible. Try powering off your house. Go to the breaker, cut off the power, assuming that that's not going to damage anything, you know, turn off any sensitive electronics first that might get hurt by a brownout. But you can flip the breaker and hear how different your house sounds when there's nothing on. And then when you turn those individual breakers on, you'll notice right away, that's what my refrigerator sounds like. Or, wow, I didn't realize our AC unit was that loud. You usually don't notice these things until they're gone and they come back. Most of us can't just go buy a quiet new AC unit, but this can still be a good exercise to help you notice the sounds that you may have been ignoring. Maybe you can power down that video game system all the way, rather than leaving it in sleep mode with the fan running. Maybe it's time to put some WD-40 on that squeaky closet door. Maybe you could find a tapestry to hang in your living room. Soft surfaces are a friend to good sounding environments. Maybe you could also write a friendly email to that restaurant that you'd love to go back to if it wasn't quite so loud. Or maybe you can write a letter to your mayor or your representatives and tell them how the screeching bus brakes wake your whole building up at 6.30 in the morning. The point is, even a little sonic change can go a long way. And if enough people start doing this, our future will sound better. Sound can affect us on a subliminal level. And it can set a mood, it can make us struggle, it can put us at ease. So I think it's a sense that we really need to pay a lot more attention to, to really add to the quality of our living experience in whatever setting we're in. There's a lot that can happen right now that would be possible if people just were willing to do it. Twenty Thousand Hertz is hosted by me, Dallas Taylor, and produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was written and produced by Casey Emerling and me, Dallas Taylor, with help from Sam Sneebly. It was edited and sound designed by Soren Bejan, Joel Boyder, and Colin Devarney. Special thanks to our guests, Rose Eveleth, Andrew Pizdek, and Chris Downey. Rose's podcast, Flash Forward, is one of my favorites. It's all about the possible and not-so-possible futures. You should definitely go subscribe. You can also find articles by Andrew at AcousticsToday.org. And you can learn about Chris's work at ArcForBlind.com. That's A-R-C-H, the number four, blind.com. If there's a show topic that you are dying to hear, you can tell us in tons of different ways. My favorite way is by writing a review. In that review, tap five stars and then give us your show idea. And even if you don't have a show idea, I'd love for you to give us a quick five-star rating anyway. Finally, you can always get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, or by writing hi at 20k.org. Thanks for listening. 